Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. I'm your host, Bill Sickens. Welcome to this week's show. Gretchen, welcome. Hi there. Bill's going to be joining us here in uh, about a minute, so uh, we'll have him as well when we get into the news. So just getting into some nicer weather up here this week. It got hot, and now it's getting back to normal. So I'm starting to think about going to events again. And um, we'll have to see what we're going to do with that this year with some of our changes. I think I might go to Black Hat in Las Vegas. Sounds like fun. You know, warm. I I mean, it's in August, so it's going to be downright hot. But Chaz has covered that for us every year. He'll uh, be with us again this year for it, too. But it might be kind of fun to actually go down and see it and check it out and see what it is. And I understand there's some events in Reno, too, that we might yeah. be looking at this year, some smaller Comic-Cons. Yep. Very small. Well, very small one dares. I've been just, you know, but some of those can be a lot of fun. And sometimes you see unique things at some of the smaller events that you might not expect that aren't at the bigger ones. Either the vendors can't afford to get to the bigger ones or it's just something that has a little different uh, look and feel to it, you know? Exactly. So. uh We'll let you know what the schedule is on all of that, and that will be coming up here in the next couple of months. So that will be a lot of fun. And with that, let's go ahead and just jump into our next part. So what's in the news? Self, uh, tipping checkout has customers crying emotional blackmail. I think that's uh, tipping itself checkout, and you're absolutely right, it does. (laughs) 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 Either way. So, yeah, this I have to say, in my opinion, too, this is getting on the verge of ridiculous. So you have a self-checkout and it wants you to tip somebody somewhere. Well, you um, should be tipping yourself because you did all the work. Yeah, it's <laughs> it, and, you know, and more and more as you're seeing the self-service stuff, it's uh, kind of like, OK, where, you know, where this is going. And there's a lot of warnings coming out about that, too. Apparently, from some of what I've been reading, using the self-check at places like Walmart, they're videoing. And six months later, sometimes they'll come back and try to say that you stole something. Uh, you know, that kind of a thing. And uh, so there's a lot of caution out there, too. The only problem is, is that a lot of these stores don't seem to be offering full service checkout anymore at all. They don't. Um, which the Walmart. laws on that vary from state to state, but they're supposed to in a lot of places. Not the but, Walmart uh, near us. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. We, I, you know, I well, Smith's and Reno had this, too. I know the grocery stores there, at least at the time, were supposed to have at least one full service checkout and then the self check and they weren't doing it. It was staffing, but nevertheless, the other weird place where I've seen this too. And I think this is one of the wildest ones was I was ordering something online, like a piece of furniture. And it asked me if I wanted to tip. That's crazy. I did not. And I believe in tipping. If you get good service and all of that, I have no problem with that, but this is getting a little bit ridiculous. It seems like, and, People are getting sick of it. I know there's a big pushback on Starbucks' new thing, too, where if you pay with your app, it's apparently gotten somewhat aggressive on, on getting people to tip. So, you know, but again, at least in that situation, you're dealing with actual people. Starlink hits incredible subscriber milestones as potential IPO looms. So Starlink is catching on. Now, I use it. I've had good luck with it. I also have the cable internet here. Uh, as a backup. Originally, I was doing Starlink as a backup, but uh, it seems to work better than the other one. Um, You know, so as far as all of this goes, there are definitely two schools of thought on this. Satellite-based internet used to be slow and had a lot of lag and stuff. This doesn't. 
Uh, on the flip side of it is it costs a lot more money. The basic plan is $125 a month, plus it's about $600 for the equipment. So um, you do definitely pay a lot more for it. it. does seem to work anywhere, so that's a good thing. But um, people are, are getting it, and it seems like it's starting to be used a lot more on a basis of residential and that type of thing than a specialty thing, certainly in areas that don't have terrestrial internet. But I think we're going to see some competition for this too. 5G, which is the current version of network on our phones, is actually a technology that's designed to replace landline internet. So it's supposed to do a lot more than just phones. The phones is just where it's used a lot now. Yeah. And we're also we're also seeing the thing with the uh, televisions where it's going to be over the air internet, they're going to start offering that. What was that, Bill? Well, I was going to say that the Boost Mobile, I think, is doing like a 5G hotspot thing for like 25 bucks. So I don't know if that's going to matter. And I think personally, I just, I don't know if I'd want to invest in Starlink because it's got Musk attached to it. And uh, yeah, well, we, we all know how you feel about Elon <laughs> Musk. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I still will make the argument at the end of the day, he has helped out in Ukraine tremendously with this. So you know, there's two sides to to every story. But anyway, that's a topic for another time. <laughs> CEO Robert says um, Comcast will likely sell Hulu stake to Disney at the beginning of 2024. So that headline's a bit of a mouthful. We've talked about the over-the-top streaming services, and there's a lot of consolidation going on right now. Discovery Plus and Warner Brothers is an example. You know, all of those different type of things. Now. Disney has owned part of Hulu for a while, and it seems like when Disney, I used to use Hulu, and when Disney bought it, the prices went through the ceiling. And yeah. it's gotten to a point now where Hulu has a service that is the equivalent of cable TV. You get your History Channel and your ESPN and all that kind of stuff. But that service is actually more than Comcast is here now yeah. for regular cable television. And at the end of the day, you know, if you're going to be looking at a dollar for dollar comparison, the straight cable television does work better because you don't have the dropouts and things like you do with the internet. Uh, on top of that, they've converted it into a service where you now have to take the channels they force you to have, whether you want them or not, which was one of the other big fights with regular standard cable television. So, you know, from that standpoint, I think Disney is going in a direction here that they're going to want to do some kind of a merger between Disney Plus and Hulu. Uh, at least that's what the rumor mill is. So if Comcast sells out the rest of their rights into this, that could end up going in their direction. Uh, if you want regular over-the-top television, look around because there are other services that cost less money, like Philo for 25 bucks a month. And then you can kind of buy what sporting networks you want and stuff on top of that. But yeah, it's interesting to see where this is going. I, I do think our streaming media has kind of hit its uh, heyday now. Another one that's kind of on point to this type of a headline is Netflix has not deployed their password controls yet in the United States. A lot of it has to do with consumer pushback on that. Uh, I think they still probably will. They've done it in other parts of the world. So we're seeing a lot of changes here in a you know different direction and that type of a thing. But we'll see what happens here. If Disney ends up with all of Hulu, you know, I, I don't know what the case is going to be there, but uh, they'll probably try to make it into one app or at least merge the two together in some way. Talking about a mouthful. <laughs> Treasury sanctions Russian ransomware actor complicit in attacks on police and U.S. critical infrastructure. Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not even sure I want to say that one time fast. <laughs> <laughs> so 
There have been a number of cyber attacks against U.S. law enforcement, businesses, and critical infrastructure. If you have not listened to any media in the last two years, you might not know about this. Otherwise, <laughs> you probably do. <laughs> and surprise, surprise, a lot of this is state-sponsored by Russia. Another shock, you know. I know this is radio, but this is my shock face, right? Oh, dear. Oh, dear. So, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, this is... Uh, Definitely something that's been an issue, and as a result of that, the uh, Treasury is sanctioning them against these attacks. I don't think they're taking it particularly seriously, but at least it is a step in the right direction. I mean, I feel like this is open warfare, you know, in some regards. I mean, it is the Cold War all over again, but... Yeah, oh yeah, and it definitely is warfare. I mean, you're, you're attacking, it's just uh, electronically instead of physically. But it can do as much damage. Yeah. The BBB, Better Business Bureau, warns of smart TV scam. Yeah, and this is something we actually talked about before, but it's becoming a bigger problem. So it's worth mentioning again, is they're injecting pop-ups into things like Roku and Fire TV and some of these smart TV platforms that look and feel like they're legitimate, but it's kind of like the link in the email that goes to somewhere it's not supposed to. And they can get personal information or worse, put malware on your smart TV and start downloading your watching habits, what you've subscribed to and potentially financial information. So it's just another scam that's out there to be aware of. Um, this primarily affects people that sideload, which means install software onto their smart TVs that's not from the actual vendor. So, you know, that's an easier way to pick it up. So it's a little more secure if you stay with the markets that are officially the what you're supposed to use although that's not even 100% of the time so just keep an eye out for it there's a lot not a lot besides that you can do to avoid it other than just being aware US most afraid of AI according to an analysis by AI <laughs> yeah so AI anal uh, did an analysis on this and has found out that the United States is the most afraid of AI uh, which is kind of an interesting thing, uh, followed by India, the United Kingdom, Philippines, Canada, Germany, Australia, and Vietnam. So those are the people that are concerned, and we'll see where this is going. I know I've heard it from both standpoints, from we're going to end up with the Terminator to this is going to be a great thing. So we shall see what happens. This is User Friendly 2.0. We've got a great show for you. We'll be back after the break. Have you seen him? He's from the Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Now, hey, one update just so everybody knows, and we've had some questions about this. With the passing of Jeremy, we've decided to push back the television show. Um, we're still planning to do it, but it's going to be at the very earliest next spring, spring of 2024. So we'll keep you updated on that. But obviously, it's forced a number of changes and different things like that. And when we do it, we want to do it right. So it's just not time. You know, yeah, circumstances mm -hmm. change things, I think, sometimes. But the one thing it is this week is we are halfway to Halloween, believe it or not. I mean, up Yay. in October, people <laughs> are already thinking about it and questions are coming in. This I have a funny feeling it's going to be an even bigger year for light displays. Now, <laughs> last year, and I've told this story before, it was kind of funny. I got this 15 foot tall witch. 
and it came from Home Depot. I couldn't get the skeleton, so I ended up getting the witch. And the witch is I have the skeleton. Purple. Yes, yeah, I know you do. And you have skeletons in your garage, not your closet, by the way. Yeah, that's right. I have a big skeleton in my garage. <laughs> I can't. Wait and to I don't see know that. what to do with it. <laughs> I was going to buy well, one of those for the museum. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I can think of something you could do with it if you really don't know, Gretchen. You know. No, I get, look, 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 Jeremy wanted that thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, I understand, I, but if you don't know what to do with it, I'm sure I let the listeners, what do you think we should do with it? I think uh, let's vote setting it up at my house next year, this year. <gasps> <laughs> you need to help anyway, I have this 15 foot tall witch, bright purple, you know, lights up and everything, and a big black cat that lights up and a big, I like the cat. And got a generator installed last year and we had a blackout about a week before Halloween. And I didn't realize it, but my outdoor electrical circuit is on the same thing as the refrigerator in the garage. So the generator kicks in and street lights are out, the grocery stores are out, everybody else, except for a giant purple witch that I think you could probably see from the space <laughs> station with all that out. But these kind of products and addressable smart lighting is really changing the way that people do their holiday displays, whether it be Halloween or Christmas or whatever. And we're looking at a situation now where this is getting more and more complicated. Now, last year, and we'll post a link to this, Gretchen, on our uh, uh, social media because it's kind of okay. a fun video. It's on YouTube. It's a make Halloween sure you give it to me. Using, yep, yep, I will. And it's a Halloween display where they were using drones and everything else. So you watch this thing, and you have the house, which is all the. Uh, however many lights they have on it and above it are these huge drones so it's going up into the sky like a hundred feet and they play the ghostbuster song and the, there's a giant i think you know, i've seen up. that oh yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 marshmallow man over the house well these things are becoming more commonplace so a lot of questions we get asked have to do with how do, what does it actually take to put something like that together and the answer number one is you can do it with off-the-shelf equipment now but you want to have a budget yeah. Not including drones, just the lighting. You could easily drop ten thousand dollars on the equipment to really do one of these upright. And, and if you if you're doing drones, make sure that the uh, air air um, FAA. Yeah, well, yeah, I've got airplanes that fly over my house, so I don't think they'd like the drones. Well, <laughs> yeah, there's no, a lot different. of areas that aren't zoned for drone flights anymore. Yeah, yeah, no, they're they're restricting that. It's a uh, ceiling of 300 feet unless you have the appropriate permits or in an area that you can do it. And it's a good point because you want to check that out. I mean, you know, before you do anything, the other thing is, is putting up holiday lights. There might be some restrictions in neighborhoods and homeowners associations and all that. But if it's something that you decide that you can do, an average house that's your average 2,000 square foot two-car garage for the front of the house to really do it properly is somewhere around 10,000 LED bulbs. And each one of these bulbs is color changing. So each LED bulb is essentially a little computer. And in order, and they draw less electricity than regular incandescent bulbs and all of that. And that's very true. But when you have 10,000 of them, you're still looking at a pretty decent power bill and need to be able to set it up properly to run all that. But then you need the control system. And the individual that was doing the drones, not including the lights on the drones, just the lights on his house, was using five Alienware R11. Uh, desktops oh, to run the whole thing, which is a lot of computing power. And then I mean, the other part of it is, is being that the systems are Wi-Fi controlled, 
you only have a certain number of channels. Now, each bulb is not connected to Wi-Fi. It's usually the strands have a controller and that connects. But you're still looking at about a thousand devices, so you have to consider a mesh network that's going to be capable of that as well. Um, <laughs> you know, that's crazy. I mean, I'm surprised this- he wasn't using more uh, Raspberry Pis or the other one. I mean, I use one for the lighting of my costumes, and it can handle, geez, um, at least 500 lights on their own. Yeah, and Raspberry Pi is a good solution, Bill. I, for anybody that doesn't know what that is, what a Raspberry Pi is, other than a dessert, is a type of hobbyist computer, which is basically a little tiny system. They'll run Windows, they'll run Linux, and all that kind of stuff, and costume lighting like bill what you were talking about they're good in situations where you are battery powered or low voltage and need small equipment uh, we use them all over the place and they actually they're in a lot of the different controllers and touch screens and stuff you see in businesses and things and it's because they're very you know they're very good for what they are uh, low power draw and can do a lot of things and each one can control about 500 bulbs and what you would do is just use that in multiples it'd be another way to do it but for 10,000 bulbs, you're still looking at a lot of computing equipment, whether it's a little Raspberry Pi or your Alienware or, you know, a mainframe of some kind. I know another approach that's been used for this is using cloud-based computing. Uh, somebody tried to do it with the controllers on Amazon Web Services, but I'm led to understand it cost $84,000 in cloud time. So I wouldn't recommend that Oh, my that goodness. <laughs> yeah, that that's, wow. So... <laughs> But you want to think about the engineering behind this because it is definitely a little bit more than just putting up some light strands. You have to think about how it's going to work and how it's all going to go together. And then the other side of it is, is being that some of these things are full-on animations and different things like that, and usually at the very least are synced to music of some kind. You're looking at programming because all of that has to react and has to know how to respond and all of that kind of thing to what you want it to actually do. So. Even though we're six months away from Halloween, it might not be the worst time to start thinking about this now if you're going to do a lighting display like this. And a mm. lot of people do. And they're really cool at the end of the day. One of the other things I've seen, too, is early on, a lot of the different figures and stuff were done with lights. I'm seeing a lot more in the windows and things where people are just buying cheap, high-definition televisions and actually running videos. But you still have to sync that up to the music or to the whatever's going on outside and have it all controlled. So a lot going into it, but it's a lot of fun to do. And if it's something you're going to do, let us know. I'd love to see what everyone comes up with this year. Agreed. That'd be fun. Mm -hmm. I think maybe I'll stick with my witch. (laughs) I have a werewolf. I didn't get the werewolf set up this last year. so I thought he was cool, the werewolf. And I love the big black cat. The big black cat's cool. Part of the problem is, is I don't have enough space in my house, in front of my house for all this. Yeah. And I was told if I put it, I have a main street behind my house. If I put them all in the backyard and caused an accident, the police would be get grumpy with me for that. So they have to be in the front. We'll see yeah, you don't have room for my skeleton. Yeah. I'd find room. All right, well, let <laughs> us know what you're doing. Love to see it. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the part of the show where we endeavor to answer your questions. Keep them coming in. One user-friendly on Facebook and Twitter. UserFriendlyShow.com is our website. 
any of those places or where you go to send in your questions, your comments, and we might feature them here on the air. Question that's been coming in and one that's, I think, very interesting is this whole idea of the death of the metaverse. And it's been about three years now. Facebook changed their name to Meta with an investment on this. There's been the Quest headsets, all of these different type of things. And at the end of the day, it looks like it's something that hasn't really caught on. Surprise, surprise. I, I, I mean, are are any of you shocked by that? No. I have no opinion. <laughs> you know, I th- now the headsets, like, I still use them. I like the VR headsets for games and some things like that and watching some movies and stuff. It's fun for that. But I know also I tried to do this metaverse thing and I never really got into it. It just didn't seem like it was anything... I don't know how to put that. There just was nothing there to do. And I saw one report where there's 34 active users on one system. I mean, you know, worldwide, that's not a lot. Oh. My thing was, you know, it was there, but I felt like chat VR did it better. Yeah, and there seemed to be some other ways to to deal with this. I think, you know, Ready Player One and Second Life, some of these movies played into this. But um, again, it just, I I don't know. Um, It seems like it is something that it was almost like everybody wanted it to work. And there was statistics that were put out when this first started that 25% of people would spend at least one hour a day in the metaverse by 2026. The wall street journal had said the metaverse would change the way we work forever. And it goes on and on from that kind of a thing, but it just didn't, click and even with covid and you would think that was kind of a perfect case scenario for something like this there were a lot of other things that uh went around but that was about it one of the most well-funded decentralized metaverse products is called decenter decentraland if i'm saying that right uh online world where you can walk around and that's the one that had around 38 daily active users and it's 1.3 billion with a b dollar ecosystem So, you know, again, from that standpoint, that's not uh, worth the investment and seems to be the direction where it's going. I think the VR headsets, I think all of this kind of thing will continue to have a place, but for other stuff. And one of the things they do need to do is fix the technology so that you can use it if you wear glasses. Because I know that's been one of the biggest complaints. It's hard to put the headset on if you have glasses on and Mm -hmm. uh, they don't work real well for that. They've tried to do some things to adjust for that. But it's definitely um, definitely something that uh, is a problem. So I don't know. The big guys are now saying that this is going into the area of tech fads like Web3, Google Glass, and some of these other things. And again, some of these products would have made sense. They just weren't you know, launched or brought to the market right. I don't know with the metaverse, on the other hand. You're talking about a scenario where people would have had to have really changed the way they do a lot of different things. I feel like Metaverse was like Second Life. You know, it was supposed to be a big thing, but it really didn't go to that market. And in this case, especially with Metaverse, like I said, walking around was kind of a thing because you just saw a torso. So it was kind of weird. It went ahead. And that, you know, and again, that was the whole thing. There, there, There wasn't really any vision of what you were doing inside of this thing. There were a lot of companies that spent a lot of money on it, but it, like you say, there wasn't, there just wasn't anything to do. Um, and I think that was a big part of it. 
Second Life at least had some, you could go in and, you know, kind of get, get into the thing. You buy a house and, you know, make fake money and do all these fake things. And I, I, I get that that would have been an idea, but I don't know. It just, it just never took off into these other things. In the beginning of this, we were hearing things that there was going to be things like World of Warcraft in the metaverse and some of these other multimedia games. Oh, and I played the, um, one of the Darth Vader ones. Uh, bought one of those things, and that was interesting. The like it was like a little adventure, and it was interesting, but um, I don't have enough room to play these things correctly, and uh, I was worried I was going to step on the cat and stuff like that. So there might be some other problems logistically. Right, right. Yeah, I I think across the board we're dealing with a with a situation here where there's a lot of reasons where it just didn't pan out. Now you can use the headset in a stationary position for some things um, that will work, but you do need space to really get the use of it. And on top of that, just, it seems like there wasn't a lot to plug into or to do. So, you know, we'll see where this ends up, but um, I think that's where we're at. This is user-friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Have you seen Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Joining us today is Joan Woodward with Travelers. Joan was with us a few weeks back talking about cybersecurity, and we've had a lot of questions come in on that, which we're going to be addressing a little bit later, but I wanted to welcome her back. And as you were on the show last month talking about cybersecurity, a lot of people did hear you. But for those that may not have uh, tuned in just yet, can you tell me a little bit about the Travelers Institute and your role at Travelers? Sure. And Bill, thanks so much for having me back. Um, the Travelers Institute was created uh, in 2009 when I was approached by our current CEO, Alan Schnitzer, with the task of to creating a public policy educational division for travelers. We wanted to take part in important dialogue of matters that impacted the property and casualty insurance sector on different topics and really more broadly, the financial sector, uh, financial services sector as well. So I'm proud to be the president of the Travelers Institute and really help lead thoughtful and constructive conversations about the challenges we're facing today in these uncertain times. So we've held more than 750 events throughout the country in person, bringing together policy experts from government, agents, brokers, researchers, universities, students, you name it, to ensure that we're providing the best resources and information uh, covering today's hottest issues. That's the perfect segue to my next question. What is, uh, you know, which is what kind of conversations are you leading right now? Boy, that was a little bit of a mouthful. <laughs> now, actually, I want to talk about uh, something very important. So Memorial Day is just around the corner for thousands of families are going to be on the roads traveling, uh, you know, especially after COVID, we all want to get out of the house. So Memorial Day weekend also kicks off what AAA calls the 100 deadliest days of summer, a time period between Memorial Day and Labor Day where traffic fatalities are on the rise. So while we focus on distracted driving throughout the year with our Every Second Matters campaign, we really want to raise awareness during the summer months and to help keep everyone safe on the roads. The Travelers recently put out a countrywide study focusing on distracted driving. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. It's really easy to get distracted, first of all. Anything that takes your mind off of driving, your eyes off the road, your hands off the wheel is dangerous. 
So whether it's texting, eating, searching for that perfect, uh, you know, road song, trip, road trip song, applying makeup or reaching for something uh, to eat, that kind of multitasking is not only a risk to yourself, but your passengers. And so Travelers Every Year releases a distracted driving risk index in April. And so this year it showed um, that 70% of consumers feel that distracted driving is more of a problem now than it was over the past few years. In fact, the National Safety Council found that more than 46,000 people were killed in preventable crashes last year. And when we compare this to pre-pandemic estimates, the rate of deaths per 100 million vehicle miles traveled has increased nearly 22%. I'll say that again. Compared to pre-pandemic, we are now at 22% higher in terms of fatalities. So our risk index study found that technology continues to be the leading cause of distractions, but also drowsiness, heightened emotions, work-related stress, and consumers really perceive distracted driving as a leading cause of crashes. They report that one-third of them have experienced a near-miss or because of their own distraction. One-third have experienced a near-miss because of their own distraction. And 17% of them admit to being in a crash because of their own distraction. And I would put a little side note on that. That's probably even higher if they're reporting that to us. So it sounds like we're kind of heading in the wrong direction right now on making the roads safer in that respect. You've talked about some of the top causes of distraction. Are businesses concerned and what can they do to help their employees stop driving distracted? Yeah, they're very concerned. Employers are concerned about liability from distracted driving. More than one quarter, 28% in our survey, indicated that they worry a great deal about liability should an employee be involved in a crash. And this has increased in the past five years. Almost a third of employees have gotten into a crash while driving for work due to being distracted. So to start, businesses can have a policy. Make sure that every year, if you have employees driving, whether they're company cars or personal cars, if they're driving during business hours, communicate what your safety policies are on a regular basis. Have them sign that policy. Also, business owners should not be calling their employees while they know they're driving. I mean, this is a simple step. You know your employees on the road driving, yet you're still calling and texting them. So employees uh, need to really be, be aware of this. So technology got us into this in many ways. What kind of technology can people use to track their driving behaviors? Yeah, you know, telematics is on the rise in this country, and that's a very good thing. It collects data driven from your car to connected vehicles, IoT devices, smartphones, and evaluates your behaviors on the road, such as speeding, hard braking, distraction, among others. And so users get real-time feedback on their performance and have the opportunity to change that poor driving habit and improve their scores. So Travelers has its own telematics program. It's called IntelliDrive, where customers can sign up and personalize their auto premiums. We offer discounts and rewards for incentives for safe driving. Um, and braking. If you're leaving enough space between you and the car ahead of you, acceleration. Are you gradually accelerating and not doing that fast? Lowering your speed, especially avoiding nighttime driving, especially uh, late night, which uh, it's a lot riskier to drive late at night. You called it the 100, 100 deadly days of driving. What tips do you have for folks traveling throughout the summer to promote safer driving? Yeah, there's several things, and it's the good news. We can change our behavior. First, know your limits. Avoid driving when you're experiencing heightened emotions or lost sleep. And if you're a passenger, speak up. If you're a, in an Uber or a Lyft, a rideshare, 
you are entitled to a distraction-free ride. So speak up to that driver and say, put away your phone. You're paying for that and don't be afraid or embarrassed to do that. Also, turn off your devices or activate your do not disturb while driving in your in your smartphone. Set up your ride before you get in that car, program your GPS. And then, of course, uh, really look into telematic options. The technology that gathers driving data in real time can provide you that you know, real-time feedback so you would get to be a safer driver. In our last 30 seconds here, where can people get more information? Sure. They can go to travelersinstitute.org. And we have a whole section on our website dedicated to helping you become a better driver, putting down your phone through our Every Second Matters campaign. And there's lots of tools and resources for parents, uh, for teenagers, for anyone, of all, kids of all ages, I'll say it like that, because we are all guilty of this at some point, and we can change our behavior. I think this is a post-pandemic opportunity for the country, and we want to raise awareness and talk about this uh, for our industry, but the public at large. Joan, thank you so much. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Great show this week. And you know, summer is right around the corner and summer driving is the 100 deadliest days of the year on the roads. Joan, I think, has given us a lot of things. The biggest thing I think that I get from that interview is stay off your phone while you're driving. Don't text and don't do the distraction. Stay alive. You'll have a much happier time if you do. The (laughs) question that has uh, come in dealing with reality television shows and specifically house flipping shows, because there's a lot of them, and I have to say I'm guilty. I like watching this stuff too, but are they real? I mean, that's kind of what this comes down to, what you've been asking. And in most cases, the answer to that can be basically summed up with parts of them are maybe, and parts of them aren't, and some of them are completely fake. Like, you know, uh, what is the, uh, Love It or Listed is one of the longest running house flipping shows that's out there. And in order for that to be real, every couple on the planet would have to have one partner that wants to keep their home and the other one that adamantly wants to move. Yeah, it seems very contrived. <laughs> and according to some insider information, most of those episodes, I like the show and I think they do a good job and they really do fix up the house. But at the end of the day, they usually shoot both endings. One ending where they've decided to love it and one ending where they've decided to list it. And it's so that one person won't always lose the quote contest. So at the end of the day, that's where that's really, really coming out to. Another one is uh, Fixer Upper uh, out of Texas. And they really do fix up the house, but all the stuff that's inside of the home goes back into the gain storage locker as soon as they're done shooting. So they get oh, the house fixed one. up, but not the furniture. You guys like these kind of shows? Personally, I'm not that big on them. You know, I, I don't know. The mediocre. other thing, I, mediocre. Yeah. The other thing I notice when you watch them too is it seems like there's always the surprise. You know, with the air quotes. Yeah. Something that's happened. Oh, the basement was flooded, but we didn't realize that it, there was a water problem or put it in our budget. And now we have to do that uh, because somehow that's shocking. Now, I would know if my basement flooded, but that's yeah, me. I feel like <laughs> it's that so. difference between, you know, American and British like reality stuff is the content like American stuff is like got to have that tension and the, you know, the strings playing of, oh, it's so tense. Exactly. 
Um, have you ever watched The Great British Bake Off? Yes. They're actually, it's actually enjoyable to watch. But if you try and watch the American stuff, it's all backstabbing and, and misery. But the British stuff is great. Everybody is just like fun. See, that's why I used to like Iron Chef was, yeah, that was intense. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, cultural, cultural difference. I know. It, you see this all over the place. But, uh, but yeah, in answer to the question, it seems like to make television reality television especially just doing it straight out from what you would record may or may not work so there is something in there that gives it a little bit more of that push I, I, and i do agree with you especially on the u.s versions of these things that uh may or may not actually be real so it's kind of a combination of the two usually this is user-friendly 2.0 until next week keeping you safe on the cutting edge User-Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2023, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. Views expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by VMI. Hosting and technology provided by wearetechnology.com. Listen at theanswerportland.com, userfriendlyshow.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts.